Well, a new year, I think, gives us the opportunity to pause and reflect, doesn't it? You know, um, I often think that a new year, it very much feels like the end of one thing and start of another thing as 2022 closed. And we start a new beginning, a new year with 2023. I wonder as you personally look back to last year, what things would you be thankful for and grateful for? Maybe what things you'd like to rather forget as well? What are your... Uh, what are things you'd want to learn from last year where maybe we could uh, do things better uh, in the year ahead? And what would be your hopes and aspirations for 2023? But beyond our own individual uh, thoughts and reflections on the year ahead, I wonder what would be our hopes and aspirations as a church family together, corporately, as a church family? What might be our uh, desires and aspirations for 2023? How might we glorify God together? How might God guide us and be at work in us in 2023? And I'd like us to use and look at this passage this morning, mainly looking at through answering one question. One question I think this passage will help us to answer, which is this. How can we be fruitful for God in 2023? How can we be fruitful for God in 2023? How can we glorify God? How can you use us? And, and how do you want to produce fruit in our lives this year? You might know sometimes Christians, I think we can be tempted at times to fall into being quite pragmatic, just looking at what works, where do we see results, and maybe we want to follow the latest fad or latest trend where it seems people get uh, results uh, and things seem to work. We want to avoid just being pragmatic, and there is a right place for principled pragmatism. Uh, If we want to avoid just being pragmatic, then we need to go back to the words of Jesus. How does Jesus say we can be fruitful How does Jesus want to work in us so we can be a fruitful branch for his glory and his Father's glory? Now, so over these three parts of the talk, we're going to see uh, three different components or three parts about how we can be fruitful for the Lord and and what Jesus says are the necessary things so we can be fruitful for him and for his glory. So here's the first thing Jesus says we need if we want to be fruitful. It's this. We need to abide in Jesus by heeding his word. We need to abide in Jesus by heeding his word. Now I get this from verses 1 to 6. I'll read it again for us. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already are clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine... Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So Jesus uses this picture of the vine and the branches. He's the vine where the branches. His father is the gardener. You might know this image of a vine actually comes from the Old Testament and it was used to picture the relationship between God and Israel. And actually in the Old Testament it's actually often a picture of their failure. How actually God's people in the Old Testament failed to produce the fruit uh, that God was looking for. So there's a number of examples of this in the Old Testament but there's one very good example in Isaiah 5 where he has this image of the vine and Isaiah says this. Uh, let me sing for my beloved, my love, song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. 
he built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. So in the Old Testament, it's mainly a picture of the failure of Israel to be what they were supposed to be. Which why in our passage today, Jesus actually says that he's the true vine. He's the true vine. He's, he fulfills and did everything which God's people were supposed to be like. He did, does bear fruit for the Father's glory. He did live a righteous life. The kind of life which Israel failed to live. Jesus is a true vine. And so if Jesus is a true vine and we want to be fruitful then, then we need to stay connected to him, don't we? Jesus is a true vine. We have to stay connected to him if we want to bear fruit. We can't bear any fruit apart from being connected to Jesus. This is a truth which Christians sometimes have called faith union with Jesus. That when we put our trust in him, we have a real living, vital connection to Jesus. We have a real relationship with him by faith. As he abides in us and we abide in him, we have to foster that relationship, invest in it, and keep hold of Jesus. In verse 5 it said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and he in, I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. The only fruit we can bear is when we stay connected to Jesus and invest in that vital living connection we have with him. Now, I, of course, recognise that people who don't know Jesus uh, actually even do many, uh, many stunning things at times. You know, people do achieve things even if they don't follow Jesus. But take it when Jesus says, you can do nothing apart from me. What he means is you can do nothing. There's a fruit that lasts. We can do nothing will remain. They'll bring glory to God, the Father, and, and last even into eternity. We can't do anything like that. They'll last and bring glory to the Father, even into eternity, apart from that connection to Jesus. So that means for you and I, we have to seek to foster our relationship with Jesus, to invest in it. You, know, you get a relationship with Jesus when you become a Christian, but it's not static. You have to invest in it and, and foster it. Here's heard someone say to me once this piece of advice. I, he said, uh, relationships are like bank accounts and they have to keep making deposits. Relationships are like bank accounts and you have to keep making deposits. So I'm sure you know from your own life and friendships that if you invest in relationships, uh, they grow stronger and they flourish and they grow. But if we don't invest in our friendships and relationships, then eventually they, we might uh, uh, separate and go, go away from one another and they, and they may be just static or maybe sometimes relationships can wither and die as we don't invest in them. But we need to invest in our relationship with Jesus and foster it. But how do we do that? How do we foster our relationship with Jesus? Uh, well, Jesus says the way we, way we do that is by heeding his word. In verse 3, he said, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus goes on to speak about heeding his words in the sense of obeying his commandments, putting his words into practice. Uh, so that's why as a church, we want to be a church which listens to Jesus' word like we're doing now, both in our growth groups and encourage you to do that throughout the week, letting his word reside in us, meditating on it, treasuring it, and being faithful to it and putting it into practice. I guess it's similar to what Paul says in Colossians where he says, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's a, 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 I was thinking about that this morning. Eh? Let God's word dwell in you richly. What does it mean to let God's word dwell in us richly? To let it take its heart in us, take it home in us. 
uh, let God's word settle into our hearts and abide in us. And as we do that, it fosters that vital living relationship with Jesus. That relationship grows as we hold on to his word. As we keep investing, keep making depositing that bank account of our relationship with the Lord. So Jesus is a tree vine. We only bear fruit as we stay connected to him. Now this could lead to a number of uh, different diagnostic questions we could ask ourselves. Are we heeding Jesus' words? Are we being faithful to his word? Are we seeking to foster our relationship with him? Is his word important to us? But you might have noticed as well, though, that Jesus also says that his father is the gardener, his father is the vine dresser. And he actually says that sometimes uh, our father prunes the vine. And I want to speak about this sensitively because the image of pruning doesn't sound like a very nice one, does it? If, if you're, I'm not a skilled gardener, though I've got a gardener. And if you prune your plants, um, you're cutting things, or maybe you're putting an incision into the, into the, the vine, the branches. So it's a, it's, it sounds painful, doesn't it? of cutting and it could involve suffering and I want to speak sensibly about this and because I recognize there will be some of us this last year who have uh, gone through suffering and hurt and pain in life and maybe this year ahead might that involve that for some of us I also want to speak sensibly because it can also be I think difficult to read God's providence we can't always know or understand what God's doing and so I don't want to be careful that if I put my finger on something that I'm not reading God's providence wrongly well, the Bible is clear, though, isn't it, that sometimes pain that we go through life can sometimes be God's instrument to make us more fruitful for him, to make us more like Jesus. And he does that because he loves us. He wants to make us more like his son. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says. It says this, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. God's pruning and discipline is a sign of his love. Those who have your own children, your own families, know that you discipline your own children at the time because you love them. If you didn't discipline them, it'd be a, a, a mark of neglecting, perhaps, your love for them, Hebrews says. So God does sometimes, you know, like prune us, both individually and maybe as a church family, to make us more fruitful for him, to make us more like Jesus. Let us remember that as a, as a sign of his love to us if we do face difficulty this year. So we have our hopes and aspirations for 2023. If we want to be fruitful for the Lord this year, Jesus says we need to abide in him by heeding his word, listening to his word, treasuring it, holding it in our hearts, um, being faithful to his word and putting his word into practice. And may God use that and bless that to make us fruitful for him this year. We're going to sing again for the Lord in 2023. We saw Jesus said... Um, he's the true vine the truly fruitful one so we need to stay connected to him we need to abide in him by heeding his word the second thing we see in how Jesus instructs us to be fruitful is this we need to come to the father in dependent prayer we need to come to the father in dependent prayer I guess from verses 7 to 8 and also verse 16 where Jesus said this if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So we need to come to the Father in dependent prayer. 
You might know if, if you've been around any church for some time, you might know sometimes in ministry circles there's a bit of a debate of should we uh, focus on faithfulness or should we focus on fruitfulness? What's the priority? Is it faithfulness or fruitfulness? I'm sure faithfulness is the most important of those two, but uh, Jesus seems to expect actually his, his followers will have both of them. He talks about abiding in him, holding to his word, and in this passage, he talks about bringing fruit for the glory of his Father. Elsewhere, Jesus talks about the fruits of his kingdom. Jesus doesn't see any dichotomy, any kind of either or between being both faithful and fruitful. We abide in him, heed his word, hold to his words, but also to produce fruits for his glory. And in those verses I read for us again, Jesus puts quite close together fruitfulness and pray, puts them side by side. And when we think about what Jesus has already said, it, it makes a lot of sense that prayer would be a key part of being fruitful. Because Jesus said, didn't he, that we can do nothing apart from him. We can do nothing apart from uh, him staying connected to him. Nothing that will bear fruit, nothing that will last and remain, and uh, even last and remain into eternity, bringing glory to his Father. We can do nothing apart from him. So, of course, we need to come to the Father in dependent prayer. But I wonder what exactly is the kind of fruits which Jesus is looking for. We know we're supposed to produce fruit, but what kind of fruits is it that Jesus wants us to produce? Well, looking at the passage as a whole, it does seem Jesus is talking about a fruit of lifestyle, also, there's a fruit of conversions. Uh, later on, as we'll look at here, he talks about uh, loving like Jesus did. How Jesus demonstrated sacrificial love, laying down his life for us. And we're to have a love like him, his, his words and his characters to transform us so we become more like him. But he also talks about the fruit of conversions as well. I get this from verse 16. Verse 16, he says, You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. She says there that his followers have been appointed, they've been chosen, so they should go. Been chosen to go. Uh, it's in the idea of being sent, a missionary, uh, commissioning to go, to bear witness to Jesus. And that witness for Jesus will produce fruit as other people hear the witness to Jesus and, and put their trust in him. As well as he's talking about conversions. So it's both the fruit of a transformed life, tra transformed as Jesus' word abides in us and shapes us, become more like him, but also the fruit of, uh, fruit of the gospel, of evan uh, evangelism, conversions. Now, now another obvious question we might have when we look at this passage, we think about what Jesus says about prayer is, uh, you might have asked this yourself previously, is what does Jesus mean exactly by this very open-ended promise he seems to make? Jesus says, doesn't he? He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's a very open-ended promise. How, how are we to take that? You can imagine people who preach the health and wealth gospel using it as a, uh, maybe a proof text if they wanted to, to this very open-ended promise. Is Jesus describing himself as a bit like Father Christmas? We just come out of the Christmas season. Is he describing himself as like Father Christmas? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I mean, who needs Father Christmas when Jesus says things like that? How exactly are we to take that open-ended promise of Jesus? Well, if we read it carefully, and we read in context, there's other things I think we need to bear in mind when we think of that promise of Jesus. Already, Jesus talked about, hasn't he? This will be on the screen behind me. He talked about um, holding on to his word. So our prayer should be shaped by the word of God. He talks about praying in his name. 
To pray in his name is to remember Jesus' character and Jesus' will. Because we pray in his name, what would please Jesus in, in our prayers? Uh, this should be for his Father's glory. What are, what are prayers that would bring glory to the Father? And as I said, it's also speaking about context of evangelism and mission. Maybe this is particularly in the evangelistic and missionary context, praying for the conversion of scholars, the advance of the gospel. We need to keep those things in mind when we pray or we go to his promise. Remembering Jesus' word, which we hold on to. Remembering his will, because we pray in his name. Praying for the Father's glory. And praying for the advance of the gospel, the conversion of souls. There is a vital connection between prayer and fruitfulness. Again, I think this should lead to a number of diagnostic questions we could ask ourselves. Uh, do we recognise we are completely dependent on the Father? Apart from him, we can do nothing. Do we especially recognise that even if we actually are someone who's very gifted and skilled and been blessed with gifts and skills, even if I'm really blessed and skilled and other people recognise that I'm still, actually, there's nothing I can do ultimately independent of God. So I still need to be praying and seeking his blessing. I can do no fruit which will last, remain to the Father's glory, even if I'm really gifted and skilled without seeking God's blessing and through Jesus. And am I praying for the lost? Do I seek uh, and bring the lost before the Lord in prayer? Am I praying for mission evangelism? I think it's great in this church we are mission partners and we pray for them and encourage us to persevere in that and be committed to that. I'd like to take you to uh, one verse which I think backs this up, which I find quite striking. You might know the story from the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 6 I'm thinking of. When in Acts chapter 6 there was this dispute, a complaint which had arisen about uh, care of some widows who seemed to be getting neglected in the provision of food. And so it says the apostles set aside a number of uh, seven individuals to care for the widows to make sure they get food. And the apostles said at the end of that, so that they could devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Hear those words, so they, so they could devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. See how the apostles put prayer and the ministry of the word side by side. It's not all we're going to do, maybe evangelical conservative Christians can be guilty of this. Yeah, we, we focus on the ministry of the word, the centrality of the word. But do we recognise the importance of prayer as well? It's not just a sprinkling of prayer or a bit of prayer if I have spare time. It's prayer in the ministry of the words. And notice well, they actually say prayer first. Prayer and the ministry of the word, they say in Acts 6. It's not the word and a little bit of prayer, but prayer and the ministry of the word. They go together. Prayer is vital if we're to be fruitful for the Lord. It's part of that continuing to make deposits in the bank account, continuing to foster and invest in our relationship with the Lord of coming to him in dependent prayer, seeking his blessing. And we need to do that if we want to be fruitful this year. Well, it makes me reminded of those words, that song, traditional song, can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. It's a great blessing and privilege of the Christian life that Jesus has opened a way for us to come to the Father. We can bring all that's on our heart, all our concerns and worries to the Lord in prayer. We also need to be prayerful if we want to be fruitful this year and seek God's blessing on all we're doing for him. So let's uh, seek to put that into practice. Let's be a people who are dependent on our Father in prayer. We're going to sing again. So think about if we want to be fruitful this year for the Lord in 2023, we need to abide in Jesus by heeding his word. 
We need to come to the Father in dependent prayer. And we also see this from Jesus. We need to grow in glorifying the Father by practicing a love like Jesus. We need to grow in glorifying the Father by practicing a love like Jesus. I get this from verses 9 to 15, so I'll read it again for us. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, I would abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you have loved one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Here Jesus points to his own demonstration of his love for his followers, and uh, Jesus makes this amazing statement where he says he's loved his followers as his father loved him. It's an amazing statement of Jesus to say that. So I think it's the incredible truth that when we know Jesus, we are brought in to enjoy some of the fellowship within the Trinity. Obviously, we don't become God ourselves, but we, uh, we get to enjoy, and it overflows to us some of the fellowship there is in the Trinity between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as, we, as it rubs off, off on us and we see some of their love between themselves. Jesus says the Father loved us. As, uh, so he loved us as the Father loved him. That we are adopted in Jesus. We can be clothed in Jesus. God looks on us and delights on us in Jesus. Think of that time Jesus was baptised and, and the Father said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Well, God says that of all those who are his children. Uh, we become his children. He says, so this is my child with whom I'm well pleased. And he loved us first before we loved him. When he talks about us remaining in his love, staying in his love, abiding, I take it that means for us uh, keeping short accounts with the Lord, to keep short accounts with the Lord, stay close to him. Don't let go long before you uh, repent and turn back to him and seek his forgiveness afresh. When we do sin and turn away from the Lord, it's like he puts a, a cloud over our relationship with God. Uh, the sun is still shining, God still loves us, but we can't experience it, enjoy it so much because that cloud when we turn to the Lord, our sin is taken away and our relationship with him is refreshed. The cloud is taken away and we can enjoy fellowship with God again. And Jesus says the primary way he showed his love for us was that he laid down his life for us. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. There's no greater love someone can have than to lay down their own life for others. Jesus, of course, laid down his life for us on the cross taking our sin and guilt on himself, bearing the punishment for all the wrongs we've done so we could be made right with God, to have eternal life because he rose again. Jesus has shown the greatest love for you and for I, and that love can never be taken from us. No one can snatch that love away from us. But Jesus also says that his demonstration of love is to be the standard and guide for our own love for one another. We're to have a sacrificial love like Jesus had for us. And this perhaps where it becomes the most challenging, where the rubber starts to hit the road, that we are to have a love like Jesus. His love is a standard love we seek to grow in and practice ourselves. This is, I reckon, that's quite challenging. We're to have a sacrificial love, putting love, putting others before ourselves, wanting what is best for others. And I recognise myself, I too have got work to grow in this area. I'm not the finished product in this, I'm not going to claim to be that. 
I recognise, of course, this is also easier said than done, isn't it? It's easy for me to just say oh, we should love one another like Jesus, but it's a lot easier to say that than it's done. Well, let me, if I could, uh, recommend a book, which I'm, I'm going to be reading this, this year, and this might be helpful for you. We could put a picture on the screen behind me. I'd like to recommend this book. You might find it helpful. It's a book called Love Your Church by a pastor called Tony Merida. It's called uh, Eight Great Things About Being a Church Member. It's published by the Good Book Company, where a trustworthy publisher. I know they check carefully their works. And uh, this book has had a lot of recommendations from uh, good uh, followers of Jesus, Christians. This was a very short book. It's quite accessible. And each chapter about being part of uh, God's people, the church, also has really concrete, practical suggestions at the end of each chapter of ways we can put that love into practice. It has lots of practical ideas. So maybe if you want to grow in loving the church like Jesus, that might be a helpful tool, a helpful book to read this year. I'm going to read this year. Maybe you could uh, discuss it with me if you wanted to. But Jesus says, doesn't he, that we are to practice love like him. His love is to be the standard. We're to seek to follow for one another. Uh, Francis Schaeffer said, actually, the love that should be in the church is actually one of the biggest apologetics to witnesses to the world around us as people in a lonely world it's often a lonely world for people isn't it people experience some of the love in the church family it's a witness to them makes people open to hear about Jesus um, I might have shared this story before I've been told sometimes I repeat my illustrations and I forget some of the illustrations I've used so apologies if I've used this story before I can't always remember the illustrations I've used but um, some of you might, uh, I had a friend who I used to know called Lisa and Lisa shared a story once so one time um, she planned to spend some time with one of her non-Christian friends they booked in the diary and it got to the day uh, they were due to meet up and hang out and her friend rang in and said oh, are you still free to meet up so I'd love to spend time with you. And Lisa said, oh yeah, I'm still free, but it's your wife, I just go, uh, before we spend time together, could I just go and I need to deliver some food to one of my friends from church, because they were trying to support someone from their church. And, and a non-Christian friend said, that's fine, yeah, I'll come with you. Uh, and so they, Lisa went to a friend from church, took some food around for them, they chatted, they caught up. Probably, I imagine Lisa would have given her a hug and uh, caught up and then said goodbye to a friend from church, went to spend some time with a, a non-Christian friend, and she at least said a non-Christian friend commented to her. She said, you know, she said, I can actually really see you really love one another. I can really see you care for one another by the way you cared for your friend. The time you spent with them, you were really listening to them. And a non-Christian friend was really struck by their love she had for, for her friend from church. And she had then an opportunity to share about the gospel and Jesus and why they had that love for one another. Our love is the, one of the biggest witnesses. You know, we can come up with the best apologetics arguments, the most cleverest arguments why to follow Jesus but actually it's our love for one another which points to Jesus because it points to the cross doesn't it Jesus' sacrificial love when we demonstrate sacrificial love it points to Jesus' sacrificial love we can point to him and his cross it's a straight line uh, from our love to it should be a straight line from our love to pointing to Jesus' love and that is actually the last way I think we've seen our passion how we're to be seek to be fruitful this year of having a love like Jesus May God help us to grow in that love. I recognise it's hard, it's difficult at times. I recognise I've got work to do in this. But may God help us to demonstrate a sacrificial love like Jesus. So wherever I personally, if we want with God's help and his blessing to be a fruitful people for the Lord, let's seek to uh, abide in Jesus by heeding to his word, you know, treasuring his word, holding in our hearts, being faithful to it, meditating on it and being faithful to it and putting it into practice. May people who come to the Father in dependent prayer, asking for his blessing on all we do for him. 
and then seeking with his help to practice that sacrificial love of Jesus, which points to his sacrificial love for us on the cross. Let's pray together. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Lord, we recognise that, Lord, we want to confess and acknowledge today, Lord, that apart from you, we can do nothing. we sorry, Lord, for when we try to do things on our own strength and independently of you, Lord. We do pray this year, Lord, you help us to be a people who abide in you and you in us. People who hold to your word and are faithful to it and put into practice. We do pray, Lord, you'd have to be dependent on you in prayer, not doing things of our own strength, but seeking your blessing, your guidance in prayer. And we do pray you'd help us, Lord, to be a people who practice that sacrificial love of Jesus. Help us to grow in this. Help us. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us, that you loved us first. Jesus laid down his life for us. We pray you'd help us to grow in that for one another. We pray that would be a witness to the world around us. And we do pray, Lord, that you'd make us fruitful for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.